Well, church, so glad to be with you. My name is Aaron, and we're just gonna we're gonna jump in together today. Um, I'm a dad of four kids, and during coronavirus season, I have learned that uh, we have gotten to know each other really, really well. If you're wrangling kids right now during this live stream, or maybe you're at home uh, with parents or with roommates, you know this to be true that whoever you're living with, you get to know extremely well during this season. We've all been forced to get super familiar with the people that we live with. And here's one thing I've learned over the last couple of months. A kid can say to his dad what nobody else would dare say. Like I can't tell you how many times throughout the years of being a dad that my kids have looked at me and said the craziest things like, dad, what in the world are you wearing? Or dad, what's up with your hair? Dad, are you going bald? Dad, did you know that when you run, your belly jiggles? Like, my kids have the guts to say to me what nobody else on the planet has any confidence or freedom to say. And each time I think, guys, do you not understand I'm your dad? Nobody else says this to me. It makes me think of one of my favorite Saturday Night Live uh, sketches. Will Ferrell is having uh, dinner with his family. And his kids are just, you know, being teenagers and going nuts. And Will Ferrell, like, just rages in the moment. And he's like, hey, I'm a big deal. I'm a district manager. I can do 100 push-ups in 28 minutes. I drive a Dodge Stratus. And he just blows up. And it's one of the best Saturday Night Live sketches ever. And I feel like that sometimes. Like, I just want to be like, hey, yo, dude, I'm your dad, right? That's so true, though, about life. Is like you can become so familiar with somebody and lack a little bit of reverence for them. There's something wonderful about familiarity. It's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be close in a healthy relationship between a father and his son or daughter. There's supposed to be closeness, familiarity. That's the definition of familiarity, a close acquaintance with. There should be that kind of thing when it's working right but it should be infused with a sense of reverence also. A sense of being comfortable with saying anything, totally being yourself, but still honoring your parent as a mother or as a father. And honestly, even though my kids are super familiar with me, like they do have a sense of reverence, right, on most days for me, like this. I know uh, that they know that any moment I can totally end their life by taking their cell phone away from them, right? Like I can cause the whole world in one moment to shatter by canceling the internet service at our house. Like they really do know that without me and Jamie, they don't have money to afford a house or a bed to sleep in or the money to go to something with their friends, right? Even though they're familiar with me, they do love me and they do try their best to honor and to obey, they do believe that I'm good. They really do believe that I'm for them. So when familiarity is done right, it's really cool. It's supposed to be. Because a kid can say something to his dad that nobody else would dare to say and have a reverence for him that nobody else in the world has for him. Familiarity can be awesome. But in this passage of scripture that we're in today, we're going to see a familiarity that Jesus does not like. It's a familiarity that lacks reverence. 
And Jesus says, because you don't have this thing, you're actually not able to fully experience my power. So just a little catch up from where we've been. Jesus has been finishing uh, a bunch of uh, amazing parables he's been teaching. He's in front of people and he's saying these mind-blowing counterculture kind of things of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. He's been healing people. He's been fixing people's bodies. He's been saving the least likely candidates. And then Jesus decides to go back to his hometown. So I'm sure he's a little bit eager about going back to familiar places and familiar spots. And he rolls up to his hometown and this is the scene that we find ourselves in right now. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all these sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Like what a major buzzkill in the story, right? I'm putting myself in that scene and I wonder if some excitement had been brewing up in Jesus. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. So as a human, he had to have some excitement about going back to familiar faces and family and friends and taking this message of the way of Jesus to his hometown people and healing people and saving people. And the scripture says that the people actually gathered in a meeting place called a synagogue and they leaned in, they listened. The scripture even says they were astonished but as they were listening, something happened. Astonishment turned into doubt. Doubt turned into cynicism. And cynicism turned into unbelief. They started to say, wait a second. This is Jesus, right? Like Jesus, the son of Mary. Mary, the woman who got pregnant before getting married, gave birth to this boy. This is her son. And this is the carpenter's son, the son of a carpenter. I couldn't stop thinking about this interaction all week long, this phrase like, isn't this the son of a carpenter? It, it wasn't a compliment, it was sarcasm. They couldn't understand how this could be somebody to model their life after or even listen to. See, growing up, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. His earthly father, Jesus, was a carpenter. And so Jesus, every single day of his life, worked on being a carpenter. He was an artisan. Right, like in the city of Austin where we live, artisans are highly esteemed, right? They're amazing. We cheer them on, we buy their stuff, we support local artisans, but this is not the way it was in biblical times. Like a carpenter was not highly esteemed. A carpenter was common. It was a simpleton's work. Nobody bragged about a carpenter. It was just a simple, common person's work. And so these people are listening to Jesus and they start saying, hey, wait, isn't that the guy that laid the stonework in my rich buddy's house? Isn't that the guy that built our dining room table? The guy with like humble background, no formal education from a poor family. Jesus, that's who's talking to us right now. To them, Jesus was just like them. 
He was just a Middle Eastern man wearing some sandals. And they could not be interested in listening what he had to say because they didn't believe he was anything more than that. They only saw what Jesus did, but they couldn't see who Jesus was. They stumbled over what should have been a stepping stone for them. Like his humble background should have been the stepping stone that catapulted them into wonder and awe that God would send such a meek savior to the world. It should have hurled them into belief, but it didn't. It was a stumbling stone for them. Their hearts in that moment, they should have melted. Like they should have burst out into worship in that moment going, there is nothing, there is nothing better than him. He's Jesus, but that's not what happened because all they saw was a carpenter. They couldn't see past what he did. They didn't see the beauty right in front of him. It's like somebody that, you know, lives in Oklahoma and then gets the opportunity to move to Hawaii, right? You move to Hawaii and you wake up next to the most grand mountains in the world and gorgeous ocean. And I'm sure in that moment, being from Oklahoma, you're like, man, this is so much better than Oklahoma City, right? No offense if you're from Oklahoma City. But soon as a human being, what's inevitable is you start to get numb to what's right around you. Like you stop taking selfies by the sea and you start scrolling through Instagram wishing you lived somewhere else and lived somebody else's life. I mean, even the mountains can be easily overlooked. It's easy to get complacent with the ocean. It's so easy to miss beauty right in front of you, no matter how beautiful it is, if you stop looking at it. And the people in Jesus' hometown were just like this. They were so familiar with carpenter Jesus, they could not see King Jesus right in front of them. They knew Jesus as the carpenter who could build tables and lay stonework, but they didn't know Jesus as the carpenter of their life and the cornerstone of their soul. Like they, in this story, in this moment, they missed seeing the divine power of Jesus because all they saw was a common man. They lacked something. They lacked something major. They didn't have faith. And when you have familiarity without faith, you miss Jesus. Now, this is a really hard pill for us to swallow today, but listen, their unbelief, their lack of faith, it hindered the power of God from being tangibly experienced in their life and in their city's life. Look at that very last part one more time, Matthew 13, 57 through 58. And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Watch this. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Like here is a crystal clear statement from the author of this book, Matthew, that there is something that hinders the power of God from being tangibly experienced, and it's unbelief. It's unbelief. What is unbelief? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, I think of it this way. 
I've got this uh, empty glass bottle here, and uh, this bottle is, uh, it's designed to hold water or liquid, right? That's what it's made for. And it's actually designed to hold a lot of it. But it's also got this really tight-fitting lid, this uh, kind of plastic cork where you close this off and you could cover this thing with water. You could dump water all over it. You could douse it with it, but it's going to stay empty because water can't get in because there's a tight-fitting lid on the top. I could chunk this into the ocean and no water would get into it. It would stay empty. Why? Because it's got a lid on it. It's got a cap on it. There's a tight-fitting lid that keeps anything from getting into it. It's closed off. And this, this is kind of what unbelief looks like in your life. Like you're meant to experience the power of Jesus in your life. You are meant to be filled up with it. Not empty, but filled up with it. Life abundant kind of stuff. But some of you don't experience that and you wonder why. Like you're, you're around Christian stuff. In a way, you've been thrown into an ocean, right, of Christian stuff, and you still feel empty. You've heard about Jesus. You grew up with Jesus. But no matter how hard you try, you still feel like you're not filled up with him. And somewhere along the line, your questions about Jesus has turned to doubt, and doubt has turned to cynicism, and cynicism has turned into full-on unbelief. Unbelief is the tight-fitting lid that has kept you from actually experiencing the power of Jesus in your life. And no matter how real and present and true Jesus is, if your heart is corked up with unbelief, you will not experience the power of Jesus. Dr. Tony Evans said this, God will choose not to do the things he wants to do when you don't take seriously what he has to say. I wonder how many more things Jesus wanted to do in his hometown. Like, I wonder how many more people he wanted to heal and revive and mend and open eyes. I wonder how much more, I wonder how much more Jesus wants to do in you and in your hometown and in America. But there's something that hinders us from experiencing the power of Jesus, and it's unbelief. Okay, so time out real quick. I know this brings up some tension, right? Like how does this actually, how does this work? Like we know that our faith doesn't control God, but as we read the scriptures, here's what's undeniably true. Jesus is undeniably moved by faith. And Jesus is undeniably put off by a lack of faith. You can't get away from that. I think about it this way. When I go to other parts of the world, and if you've ever been around the globe, you've seen these expressions of God's power in just really tangible and beautiful ways. You see it when you leave America. You see them on display in other places. But why not here? Like, have you ever wondered that? Like, why not here, why not through me? Why not through you? Maybe, maybe it's because you've become too tightly corked with unbelief. Your doubts turned into cynicism and cynicism turned into unbelief until all you've got now is little old carpenter Jesus 
with not much power to do anything in your life or anybody else's life. But I want you to know today that there is a solution to unbelief. The thing in the story that these people lacked is the key to this whole thing working the way it's supposed to work. You know, the opposite of unbelief is faith. Faith is assurance of the hope of God and conviction of things not seen. Like faith says, God, if you say it, I will believe it and I will trust you. Faith says, my life, my heart is an open bottle. The cork is off, the lid is off. So God, fill me up because you can and I believe and I trust you and I want your mighty works to be done in me and through me, I trust you. That's what faith looks like. Listen, if you have familiarity without faith, you miss Jesus. But when the wonderful collision of familiarity and faith actually come together, you can experience the power and the joy of Jesus in your life. So it made me think of a question this week. I started thinking, okay, of the people that were around Jesus, who experienced the most of Jesus? Like when I read the scriptures, and think about people that experienced the most of Jesus, it was the ones who had a deep sense of familiarity and faith, right? It was the people who chose to follow him, not just listen to him or watch him do something from a distance. It were the people, it was the people who chose to become disciples. Think about this, so many beautiful pictures of this happening in the scripture. The disciples sat with Jesus and ate meals with him. And they believed that he was actually the Messiah. Like Peter got to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach and he had the faith to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Mary got the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his gentle words and she had the faith to believe that he was the one necessary thing in her life. John laid his head in the bosom of Jesus and had the faith to believe that he was the lamb of God that was slain for the world. Familiarity and faith. Listen, the disciple of Jesus always gets the most of Jesus. And you are called into that same sort of lineage, that same sort of relationship to get to know him in the most familiar way and then to be filled up with faith that he is greater than anything and any person that you'll ever experience. And you get to trust him implicitly. Here's what familiarity is. Familiarity is close communion with God. And faith lets you trust him implicitly. Like he wants you to have both and he invites you into this. You might be thinking, no way he wants me. Listen, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you, you are invited into being his disciple. He made the way for you to do this. He's called you to it. He's invited you into it, not just to watch him or listen to him or see him do some cool things, but to actually have a wonderful collision in your life of familiarity and faith. Now there's probably a couple words here, two words, these two words 
that maybe one or both have brought up a little bit of baggage for you. You might be thinking, familiarity, really? Do we need familiarity with Jesus? Isn't that kind of like me being in Hawaii and just being like, eh, it's just Hawaii. But there is a rightness about familiarity for a disciple. Spurgeon said this, Charles Spurgeon, old pastor said this, he who lies on a bed of spices will naturally find his garments smelling the same. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians 2.15 that says, for to God, we are the fragrance of Christ. That is a disciple. A disciple is somebody that's so familiar with Jesus that they smell like him, they talk like him, they act like him, they can't get away from thinking about him. Their whole life revolves around this person named Jesus, and then every time they're around somebody else, somebody else is like, man, whatever that guy got, whatever that girl's got is pretty incredible. It sounds different, it smells different, it looks different than anything else I've ever seen. That person is so familiar with Jesus that they start to act like him. They become like Christ. Familiarity for a disciple is right. Maybe the word faith hangs you up a little bit today or stirs up some baggage. Sometimes we're so scared to have real faith because we're afraid that we're going to stumble into prosperity gospel or become a radical charismatic. But hear me today, for a disciple of Jesus, faith is right. You're supposed to have a charismatic kind of faith that Jesus can heal cancer. You're supposed to have a charismatic kind of faith that believes that Jesus can end injustice. You're supposed to have an unwavering belief that Jesus can do anything. He can heal any marriage. He can heal any friendship. He can do anything because he's Jesus. See, for a disciple, faith is right familiarity is not wrong and faith is not wrong. Jesus just wants you to have both, to see him as kinfolk and king. Like to see him as the brother of your life and the boss of your life. He wants you to have both. This is how you experience the joy and power of Jesus. And here's the best news I've got for you today. Because Jesus is so good, he made a way for this to be possible. Because Jesus had perfect faith, he's not asking for you to have perfect faith. He's not looking at you hoping and pleading that you'll have an ocean amount of faith today or that the faith in your life would be the size of a mountain. Actually, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17 is if you have faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, then nothing will be impossible for you. It's never the size or the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. He's not banking on you to do it. He did it for you. So you need faith today? Awesome. Ask him. Go to him. Say, Jesus, I need faith today. Would you fill me up? And you know what Jesus loves doing in the life of a disciple? He loves filling up a disciple with faith. He loves it because he loves you. So church, don't miss Jesus because you grew up with him. And don't miss Jesus because you're trying your hardest to muster up faith in a person that you've, you've never met and you've never personally experienced. And just as a kid can say to his dad what nobody else would dare say, and still have more reverence for him than anybody else in the world, I want you to know today, you can experience familiarity and faith in Jesus. So here is my challenge for you today, church, as a disciple. Number one, 
become more familiar with the carpenter of your story. Like dig into his word and get to know his heart. And even better, don't do it alone. Join a group here at the stone. Dig into the word with fellow disciples. Get to know him, the carpenter of your story. And number two, become more full of faith in the king of your life. Like acknowledge your lack of faith today to him. He can handle it. And ask him to give you more because he loves to do that. Church, I want you to know today that he loves you and he is for you. I want you to know today that there's nothing better than him. He is the one that calls you into a deep, familiar relationship. And he is the one that has power to turn seas into highways and the power to take bones and turn them into living armies. He's the one that has the power and the grace to turn graves into gardens. He's Jesus. So go to him, trust him, you can. He's good. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, I've never known anybody else like you. I've never known a a friend or read a story about a king or read a book about some epic hero, heard a song about some perfect friend that even measures or articulates or comes close to what you are like. You are the absolute best and wisest and strongest and compassionate friend and king that there is. To think that the king of the universe invites me into a friendship is just absolutely mind-blowing. But you do, and so I pray that you'd help us trust that and um, help us believe it. Jesus, I love you. Help us believe this truth today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.